When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Tuesday, August 24, 2021. It's TG Tuesday once again. We've got a streak going with Tony Greer from the Morning Navigator back in the house. Here's what we're looking at right now. Looks like U.S. equity markets, uh, boy, it looks like at or near all-time highs, just green across the board. Uh, NASDAQ definitely appears to be at an all-time high right now. We're going to talk about these numbers in more detail uh, with Tony Greer, but NASDAQ up over 15,000, 15,019 right now here on the close. That's up about half a percent or 77 points. Dow Jones Industrial Average also up uh, 32 points to 35,367 on the close. S&P 500 at 4,486 here as the uh, action settles down up a little over one-tenth of one percent. NASDAQ Golden Dragon Index, which represents 98 Chinese companies, a popular way for U.S. investors to get exposure to Chinese equities, is up today. Looks like nearly eight and a half percent as we settle down at the close. Uh, This after losing 50 percent of its value in the past six months uh, as the Chinese government institutes a regulatory crackdown, especially focusing on tech companies. Final story of the day at the lead. Tony Greer, you're going to love this one. Uh, the Poly hacker who promised this is the Poly network hack over $600 million uh, for those who aren't familiar with it. The Poly hacker who promised to return over half a billion dollars he, she, or they took from the Poly network. Well, they appear to have given it back including the $500,000 reward for pointing out the bug. And also, by the way, he, she, they apologized for the inconvenience in one of their notes. Tony, this really is a strange new world, isn't it? A crypto feel-good story, if we will. Right, Ash? Fantastic. Really, really cool. Really cool. There's so much going on in the world right now. We can barely keep up, right? Yeah, we'll get to that more uh, in a bit. But tell us, Tony, what are you looking at as you look at these markets? Well, it feels to me like we're hitting a new power curve of the equity bull market, given we just got two major, major headlines um, yesterday. You know, and we got basically two headlines out of China, one where they have zero COVID cases and another one where the PBOC is going to boost credit and stabilize money growth, which is a little bit of an easing turnaround from what they've been saying. Um, The second headline you can't ignore is the FDA approving, approving the Pfizer vaccine. To me, what that did was it woke up the muscle memory in the reopening rotation. Right, Ash, what have we seen in the last two days running now? Oil and gas bouncing off support, aggressively leading markets, right? The dip in price was short in time. It was steep in duration. Oil is now $7 off the low. You know, stocks are following suit. We had metals and mining follow off on uh, on energy yesterday. 
Um, you know, all of a sudden, copper is now bouncing off the 200-day moving average and starting to test moving average resistance rather than breaking down, which it had been doing in the last week. So the way I'm looking at it, you know, last week we had this crisis in confidence that really kind of, to me, rhymed with the Afghan headlines and, and the sort of uh, poor optics of that withdrawal. Um, we had the same old formula for the bull market show its face again, right? The market pulls back from highs. We have a number of uh, red days in a row where the market's down consecutively. We have one or two extreme tick index prints on the lows. We have a red to green recovery and we retest the highs. Now, this just got, you know, the retest of the highs this time got power boosted by that FDA Pfizer headline and the China headline. So to me, it feels like the market's muscle memory is waking up and we're going back to that rotation where we can have industrials like XLE and metals and mining rally. We can have gold miners rally because gold is recovering so well. And we've also got massive tech participation all of a sudden in this rally as well. You know, we just had the Barron's cover that, you know, asked if big tech could keep going. And it feels like if it even felt like one of those Costanza headlines that you didn't want to be short against. And then you wake up Monday morning and tech keeps going. So now that we've got big tech rallying, we've got semis rallying because there's a chip shortage. We've got the sectors like social media that were on their way down rallying just because the whole tape is rallying. So, you know, this is the very, very difficult part to fade. This is where I ask the people that are bearish the S&P, like, what's your plan now? Because um, it feels like we're in a power curve up to 5K, Ash. And I don't want to go on and on. I want to see what you want to dissect about this rally, whether it be the commodity side, equity side, or what. Boy, you know, it just sounds like there's lead back in the reopening trade now. When you look at these numbers, when you look at the run that we've been on the last couple of days here, what do you see in terms of key support levels for the broader market? Well, you know, the S&P, we barely grazed um, the 50-day moving average once again. You know, it's it's like literally, it is like, I'm trying to think, it's probably the fourth or fifth episode in as many months, Ash, where we, you know, the market backs off the highs and the S&P tests the 50-day 50 50-day 50 moving average support level, whether it was on, um, you know, the big Bitcoin de-risking, whether it was on the first headline inflation number we got, whether it was on the FOMC meeting, whether it was on this crisis in confidence we had last week, it's been the same formula in the S&P, which is a bounce off the 50-day moving average. So that's your number one level right now until that pattern changes. And you know that, that's what I've been riding, the, try to ride the bull market up. And I'm not really, I don't have all the technical levels for all the indices. I really don't. Yeah, listen, talking about broad-based and talking about these indexes, just looking at it from a 50,000-foot level, looks like it's official high on the S&P as well. High on the S and P yeah. 500, uh, close at record highs. Uh, S and P 500 and Nasdaq. Just looking at uh, across the tape here on CNBC. Yeah, Ash, and you know we we spoke last week a little bit about how Bitcoin, and I, I don't want to just switch the the convo straight to crypto or anything, but obviously Bitcoin and Ethereum have been waking up and performing. And the one thing I just want to point out that I think is relatively important is that the last time technology sectors and Bitcoin were rallying together, they both went on a tremendous run. And it feels like we could be in a similar situation. You know, when we came out of lockdown in March of 2020 through, you know, call it the summer of 2021, the NASDAQ went from 7K at the low to 15K, so it doubled. And Bitcoin went from 6K at the low to 60K at the highs. 
you know, and that was all to me. It was every day, Bitcoin higher, Ethereum higher, NASDAQ higher, Q, triple Qs higher, software higher, cybersecurity higher, right? And so now I look at it and with, in my opinion, Bitcoin has done a lot of work technically. And now all of a sudden we're in this position where the technology side of the stock market looks really good again. And only really good in a sense, and I don't know what's going to derail it from here other than unless yields start moving up really rapidly and we have a dislocation lower in the bond market. And I'm not seeing any of that happen just yet either. So if we have a powerful tech-led rally where industrials also perform because of that reopening rotation idea, man, that's going to be a powerful S&P to try to hold back for the next couple of weeks, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Very well said. As you were talking, I was looking at crypto prices. Man, talking about critical levels with a five in the number. Bitcoin now below the 50,000 number, but at 48,153, this is very strong. Ethereum still up over 3,000. 3,197 here as we do this live. Uh, but also, things like Solana smoking over 70. Um, Cardano up over 275 now at 280. I mean, this is up 40% uh, in the last uh, in the last seven days. This is perhaps a bit more uh, idiosyncratic trade. This is on news that Charles Hoskinson, uh, the creator, has announced that they are actually going to go live with the smart contracts. That means basically, in a nutshell, if you're not following these markets closely, Ethereum is going to have a competitor in the smart contract space. Wow, that'll be interesting to see how that pans out, right? They've been pretty much the only one so far, right? That's exactly right in terms of mainstream uh, applications where people can write these smart contracts, deploy these smart contracts, and actually have the business logic live for trading all kinds of other applications. If Cardano, ADA, ADA is a real player in this, man, that would be one hell of a story. Yeah, really. If, if uh, you know, it sounds like what was a monopoly gets broken up. I mean, we know how that can end when once competition finally creeps into the ring. So we'll keep an eye on that one, see if it affects the whole crypto basket, as it were. Yeah, and it also might be one of those things where it's like Roger Bannister in the four-minute mile. Uh, once the threshold gets broken, you see other people breaking the tape as well. And I suspect that that will be uh, the case uh, on the smart contract side. These things take very long periods of time, years uh, to deploy, but there are a lot of smart people out there who are working on these technologies, and they're coming of age. They're maturing. Very cool. Very cool. I'm all ears to the crypto world. By the way, this story, I don't want to belabor it, but the story about the hacker giving back the $600 million, I mean, for me, the and the $500,000 reward, these guys basically said, hey, give us back our money. We'll give you a $500,000 reward for finding the bug. He gave back the reward, and he gave back all of the donations that he received from his fans and just said, listen, I wasn't in this for the money. This was about pointing out the security flaw. This is about showing the world uh, kind of my stuff, what I could do here, and looking at this and being able to analyze the code. So it is a very just a different space. It's a different ethos uh, for people who say, uh, you know, maybe some of the uh, investors uh, who have a little bit more uh, antiquated view of the world, shall we say, who say, nah, there's nothing new here. This is just more tech doing similar stuff. It's a different world. It's a different culture. Yeah, I can tell, you know, you're getting a great front row seat of it right there. You know, I can tell with all the um, people in the space that you interview for Real Vision that, you know, I, I grab, you know, portions of where I can and, and sort of all of it if I can. But I mean, I, I can tell that you're getting exposure to every side of the crypto space. So, I mean, it might be time for Ash to open up his own crypto fund. What do you think? <laughs> not without you, Tony. Not without you. That's what I think. Well, we could do that. You can be the analyst and I'll be the trader. I mean, that's that's the old school model, man. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. That sounds perfect. I should say, by the way, in terms of crypto stories, this other interesting one is CryptoPunks uh, being bought. A CryptoPunk, there are 10,000 of these. This is an NFT. Uh, Elaine Lee and I are actually doing an update on this. I hope it's going to come out a little later today. Uh, but this is an interesting story. These limited edition NFT tokens, uh, only 10,000 can ever be printed. Visa just yeah. bought one for $150,000. This is interesting. And what's really fascinating about that uh, is that um, I believe the name, gentleman's name is Kai Sheffield. He's the vice president over at Visa, who's in charge of crypto and is a big NFT guy, basically wrote a very sophisticated and nuanced analysis of why Visa was stepping into this space. This wasn't just a, a one-off collector's thing. They're saying, no, we're really looking at this technology for how we can enable things like uh, payment uh, infrastructure, how we can do things for small and medium-sized businesses. I think it's uh, it's kind of like one of those little milestone moments. Oh, absolutely! I, I couldn't agree more. You know, when you are uh, you know used to reading headlines in frontier markets, and all of a sudden you hear Visa step into the ring, you know, you you, you have to sort of get your feet square on the ground and say, "Wait a minute, they what?" Because you know this is this is the kind of news that flies off of the Goldman Sachs institutional cryptocurrency desk that has been built around this industry. This is the news that you really have to pay attention to. And now I, I didn't get a chance to do the research yet, but I'm interested to read that article because you know that that purchase was made, you know, with the intention to dovetail the space, the NFTs, somehow more, you know, integrated into the Visa operation. So it's, it'll be interesting to see whether they bought it just to say, okay, here's the functionality of buying an F NFT. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to own it. And then maybe they, you know, create another business out of that. But I'm all ears listening to, you know, I'd like to keep an eye on Visa stock, which um, has been in a secular bull market to see if this has an effect, positive or negative, and to see how the market perceives it there. Maybe Visa will be another, um, you know, like Coinbase, another semi-proxy to the space somehow if they become the giant. And I'm thinking, you know, many months and years out the curve, but who knows, man, they made the first purchase for a reason and you got to keep an eye on them now. Yeah, I got to tell you, if I'm any other electronic payments company out there watching this space, I want to play this defensively at this point because I'm afraid of my business model getting disintermediated. Hell yeah, that's the risk right there. And so the disruption is going to be interesting to watch, right? Yeah. By the way, talking about uh, bull markets, I'm looking at the uh, the GICS uh, sector breakdown for the day. Everything's green, man. Everything's green. Looks like looks like utilities are off about eight basis points, but basically across the board. Yeah, you know, it was. Uh, I think. The market to me is speaking for um, Jeff Curry at Goldman Sachs, who came out with the, with a call that was um, came out over the weekend or Monday morning, but it was along the lines of some calls that I had with clients last week while the market was under pressure. And what I was speaking to them about and also writing about was that I think in the end, you know, the fact that these commodity markets are tight and there are supply disruptions, that that's going to be that, you know, the trade that continues to guide the markets. And Jeff Curry from Goldman Sachs came out and said, you know, the tightness in oil, the tightness in copper, all of this is going to outweigh the Delta variant. And then the next thing you know, you know, you get the Pfizer vaccine news and everybody in the market says, we're buying Let's go. It doesn't matter what price we're buying stuff. You know, this is another leg higher for the markets. This is a breakthrough the Delta variant, a look beyond variants. 
you know, ad infinitum potentially. And so I think that the tightness in the commodity markets is what's starting to spill over onto the screens. You know, I looked at my leaderboard today, Ash, and I had, you know, zinc names, uh, excuse me, zinc, copper, soybeans, you know, things that hadn't been on my macro leaderboard in a while. And all of a sudden they're taking the lead again. And I think that that speaks to that underlying tightness that's there in the commodity markets. So when the authorities take the heat off the inflation trade and the commodities back off. What we just saw happen is really relevant because that speaks to the underlying tightness, the underlying demand, and the fact that people are literally buying all these commodities on dips. So that's a really bullish dynamic that just revealed itself this week. Yeah. So tell me more about that. I know you're a big commodities guy, particularly on oil and copper. What are you seeing there on the supply side, on the demand side? What's driving the BTFD? Yeah, well, the you know the demand side really, you know, I think this Pfizer vaccine approval is going to lead. You know, the market is interpreting as closer to getting back to normal, and I, I'm not smart enough to know what that's going to mean on the other side of a vaccinated planet. Um, but I think the market is looking at it as a step closer to normalcy, and I think that's super important. But what I look at in the commodity side is, you know, copper. Like nothing changed about copper and crude oil while their prices backed off with this commodity sort of mini dip that we just saw. Underlying spreads remained backwardated, which means that demand is in the front month, as we've discussed. That, that scenario attracts investors because you can be long the commodity with positive carry, i.e. get paid to hold the commodity. And so while that dynamic didn't change, all we did was we got a dip in flat price. What happens is people start accumulating on the dip because they've been buyers the whole time. When there's tightness in the market, you have two choices. You can either buy a spread to cover your short, or you can buy the actual commodity flat price. And it feels like that's what the markets did in both copper, aluminum, and oil. And gold even did the same thing, whether it was for the same reasons or not. But you know, gold got bashed almost down to 1650 when the Federal Reserve was um, sort of proving out their transitory comments and, and inflicting a dollar rally. And here we are back above 1800 in gold, where gold is saying, don't leave me out of the inflation conversation just yet, even though I'm lagging. So, you know, Ash, there's still the, the fact that these dips in commodities are short in duration and steep in price should give you a lot of confidence that the next time central banks come knocking on the door of the inflation trade to say, okay, that's enough for now, start getting your bids lined up below the markets because the dip is more than likely going to be short in time and steep in price again. So you got to be ready for it. That's what I learned from this last week or two. Yeah. Talking about central uh, bank intervention, uh, it brings me to a point that I did an interview with uh, Luke Groman uh, recently, where he talks about precisely these points. Uh, let's take a look at the clip. Basically, these deficits are so now so big, uh, just to keep the wheels on the cart. There's no, there's, there's not any private sector balance sheet big enough to finance U.S. government deficits in a non-deflationary manner. And what I say by that is. The world could finance these deficits if it starts selling off other debt, junk debt, uh, stocks, emerging market assets. If they sell other assets to raise dollars, they will have, it's basically what I'm describing is the US government crowding out the world. Right. And that's where we are. And so that's where the monetary side comes in, which is the Fed has an infinite balance sheet. They can print the dollars to buy the treasuries. And so if the Fed does enough, then that will 
uh, allow leverage in the system to keep expanding. Uh, basically, the rest of the global private sector won't have to sell assets to uh, finance the U.S. government. The, the Fed will finance the U.S. government. Well, there you have it from Luke Groman on the essential tier. Rising deficits on the fiscal side financed by central bank intervention. That sounds like he's got the formula down, doesn't he, Ash? <laughs> yeah. You know, when I, when I look at uh, one of the things that, you know, I was concerned last week when the market dipped, obviously um, in a crisis in confidence, you don't know where that's going to level off, right? But if one thing kept me on the bull side without wavering too much, as I spoke to clients over the weekend, it was like, you know, we're doing this talk about taper at the Fed, except the balance sheet continues to tick higher. So if the balance sheet continues to tick higher, then we have to expect the same mechanism to be churning underneath the markets, right? Like where we're going to create some inflation and we're going to come after those trades and metals markets are going to perform and commodities are going to perform. And, you know, next thing you know, it's, it's looking at that Fed balance sheet that ticks a new high that sort of gives you the confidence to say, yeah, well, we're buyers of stocks on this dip. We're buyers of commodities on this dip but because of that mechanism right there. That should be dilutive to the dollar and it should be bullish commodities. So I think that's how the market is reading it, or at least that's how I'm interpreting how the market is translating that effect, if that's fair to say. Yeah, very fair and very clear. I would just add, you know, to your point, I wouldn't want to be on the other side of the Luke Roman trade. No, no, not at all. He's a sharp cat. I enjoy it. He's one of the um, people that I really enjoy listening to. He has a pretty stable and uh, consistently fundamental view, which I really appreciate. Yeah, and very well reasoned and thought out, really from first principles. Tony, I should say, lots of questions coming into us uh, on the YouTube feed. We got some, I think, coming into us on Twitter uh, at Ash Bennington. If you want to hit me up on Twitter and ask some questions on Twitter, uh, it looks like it looks like there's a John Farley uh, who's asking questions as well. I think that's Jack Farley who should be on vacation uh, and enjoying his life, but apparently he is watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Man works hard, doesn't he? What kind of questions do we have? Is anybody commenting on how good the feed is and how much better the internet connection is? Are there any comments like that, Ash? Um, <laughs> not yet, Tony. You, you know, you know how TV works, man. People only yell when something's wrong. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> All right, what do we got? What are they looking for? You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. Okay, so um, here's the question. Uh, is a three and a half trillion dollar spending bill definitely going through? If so, when? I know that's a tough one to predict, but let me also add to this. This is coming to us from CG, which is how do you think about a spending bill like that? Leaving aside for a moment uh, the plausibility of it, when you see something like that coming down the pike, what does that do, if anything, to the way that you think about markets or do you just wait to see it in the tape? Great question. Ash knows the answer. Uh, my lizard brain isn't capable of thinking enough to figure that out, you know, what the three and a half trillion is going to mean for each sector. So what I do when I see the three and a half trillion, you know, bomb come across the tape like you, I sit up in my chair and I say, OK, what did the market just say to that? You know, and because certain things, when they hit the market for the first time, like, you know, the, the announcement of a, tr uh, a stimulus bill announcement that it's getting passed, 
incrementally, however the news gets parsed out over the tape, you know, it's always my reaction to say, okay, what the, what's the vote on this? You know, what what you know, what is the market voting? Are they voting with their feet? Are they running from this headline? Are they running into the markets on this headline? What are they doing in commodities? What's the bond market doing? And that's really, you know, when it can, when you come down to it, that's the nuts and bolts of tactical trading. Anything at any level, it's it's looking to see what the response is to news. So for me, for a stimulus bill, like I said, I'm not smart enough to figure out what that means for all these sectors of the of the market that we can trade now. So I take clear and crisp notes on the two or three days after that gets released, and I decide what the market's telling me. It looks to me like you know it looked like the commodity trade wanted to take a little bit of a nosedive, a little bit more more more. I guess a steeper magnitude than we saw, but the reality is is that these stimulus bills are going to get filtered out into the market, and they're going to finally, you know, reach their destination, and they're going to cause a little bit more business activity, and they're likely to cause a lot more inflation, like the rest of the debt that we're piling on. So, those are the way. That's the way I think of it. Number one, look at the market and let it tell you, and number two, fit it right into your fundamental view of more debt, less debt, good for the markets, bad for the markets. You know, how does the market take in the news and react from there? Yeah. Here's a nice, simple nuts and bolts question. I love these questions. They're simple. Uh, the question comes to us from Josie. You're basically, you're talking about all of the uh, bullish sentiment that you see. He says, what's Tony Long right now? And what's your favorite one? Provocative question. Um, my, I am, my book is fully out in the open on um, the view matrix of my newsletter. So that's something my, where my positions are listed and my personal account usually matches that or is some very close uh, lookalike to that. So what I've got on the books right now is my most more, more I guess I'll, I'll talk about them. Just I'll just group them um, long some um, agricultural ETFs, because I think that there is going to be serious food shortages at some point. And I think that we're in a very much secular bull market in grains. So I've got plays like DBA on. I just bought some agco on the dip because I think that's a good expression of tech of, of uh, excuse me, of um agriculture, ag. where agriculture meets industrial, you know, it's an ag farming equipment company. So I think that one's going to have uh, a good next couple of weeks and months. Um, I've been long oil, just basically oil for forever, essentially, since or at least over a year now since the dip to zero. Um, I'm looking for a place to get back into energy stocks, although I'm not in any right now because I got shaken out in my trailing stops from the highs and managed to take a lot of profit on those. But I'm getting very close to dipping myself, my foot back in the water. And I also like financials because I think the yield curve has been about depressed as it's going to get. And one last one is I like Coinbase and the cryptocurrency space. And that's where they've, they've been proving they've been proven to be really good inflation hedges. And um, I think the Coinbase IPO may have bottomed recently, just just from my experience trading IPOs through their narratives and price action, et cetera, et cetera. I just think that's a good short term bet for me if, if Bitcoin is going to make its way higher. So those are some of the things I'm looking at. But I write about them every day in my newsletter. Yeah. Morning Navigator. Here is one we've never seen before from Per Bjurman, a good Swedish name. And the question is, how will the Swedish krona do against the dollar in the coming months? Not smart enough to figure that one out, my man. Although I will say, if I, if I just could add a dollar comment that may help, I'm looking today at the Aussie dollar, at Dollar Canada, at you know the dollar index, at the euro. And I, I, can't, I am out of reasons to be bearish the US dollar. 
You know, mm. it's unfortunately, you know, although I think that it is dilutive to our purchasing power to be expanding our debt pile the way we are at such a ferocious pace versus the rest of the world. I am amazed at how well the dollar is holding up. So I can't really be that bearish the dollar anymore when it's off the 80 handle into the low 90s above moving average support and starting to really put pressure on the dollar bears. So that's one thing that I'll say about the dollar. The charts are really starting to look the same to me. And it looks like the dollar is having a serious technical breakout that as a trader, I cannot fade even though I'm not bullish. Yeah. Let me ask you a follow-up to that one. It's one that interests me because I love thinking about how you think. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, Tony, you got to take out, take a look at this chart on the Swedish krona. You need to take a look at this. Something there is happening. What would be the first thing that you would look at on the krona or any other currency when you were just trying to get your head around what was happening on something? Yeah, you know, Ash, that's a good question. And I, and I have to say that I, and just to, to back the conversation, because it's a good question about trading, is that I got a lot of experience in that as an execution trader in equities, right? right? Because what happens is you are getting hot potatoes thrown at you all the time, orders that you've got to execute. And the idea is that you catch an order as a human being and that you can do something smart versus the markets. Right. So you develop the skill of being able to take a look at something first from a sort of micro perspective, just to see what's going on in the last couple minutes type of thing. And then from a more macro perspective where you zoom the lens out and say, OK, where is this trading now in context to where it's been? Like, where did it come from? Right. Is this thing trading at five because it just collapsed from 50? Or is it trading at five because it just chooched its way up over five years from a dollar to five dollars, right? The path of arrival is everything to me. And then so when, once you establish that and you can establish what direction the security is trending, Ash, then you can start at least making, you know, applying some technical analysis tools, some moving averages, some trend lines and some really basic stuff to start to say, okay, if this thing is trending, then it should bounce off of this level and this level and this level and this level on its way to higher prices. So it's all just a matter of perspective, and it's kind of like zooming a lens in and then out and seeing where things are. Yeah. By the way, talking of uh, the direction that something comes inbound from, the Paraburman uh, question was from Twitter, and we got one more from Twitter that I'd love to hit before we cut out for the day. This one comes to us from Bugs, and the question is, what's your outlook for iron ore? Great question, Bugs. Um, I unfortunately have a lot of questions in iron ore like you do right now, right? I've been a bull. I've been, you know, just on the technical trending, the way it's been trending so much higher. You know, we got to a thousand won per metric ton, somewhere around the highs. China came out and clearly said that, you know, they 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 put out some commodity rules that took iron ore, they backed it right off below eight hundred won per metric ton, right? So that's a big pullback off the highs. We've got to decide where it's going to go now. But if I'm going to think about how to think about that trade, I'm going to kind of remind myself of Jeff Curry, who's saying that the tightness and the demand underneath these commodity markets is likely going to outweigh the weakness we've just seen because of the Delta variant and because of China's um, sort of light commodity crackdown. So my guess is that while 
it's not going to be a linear path. I think that the price of iron ore remains pretty elevated. I, I think that China is still a big buyer. I still think that um, as long as steel prices remain firm and we remain in this reopening type of rotation, it's impossible to count iron ore out, even though China is trying to keep a lid on it. Those are my those are my best guesses right now at iron ore, if that's fair. Yeah. Very well said. By the way, I'm glad we got to get to these questions from Twitter. I love seeing questions come in from Twitter. Super fun. Loves this sort of uh, interactive format that we're doing here, which is just perfect to have with you on the show today. Talking of which, Tony, as we get to the end here, final thoughts for the viewers today. Oh, man, you know, it. we spent last week testing the downside in markets. We got another set of low tick extremes where we know that there was a lot of selling going on. We grazed the 50-day moving average on the lows. We had that red to green day. We've got massive, massively positive headlines on the tape coming out of the U.S. and China. You know, my, my only inclination right now is to make sure that I'm not short anything that's going to hurt me and make sure that I am loaded up on the stuff that I think can climb to new highs while we're in this power curve of the S&P trade. So as long as I get to Friday, which is still a couple of days away, but... As long as I get to Friday and the performers of the week are still energy stocks, metals and mining, industrial stocks, um, technology, Bitcoin is bid. If you know if those things are still in place, then for me, the door is open for a power curve trade and on the upside in the S&P. So that's kind of how I'm playing things right now. Yeah, Tony, you always say it clear, but man, that is just crystal clear on the bullish outlook. <laughs> Good, man. I'm glad that it makes sense, man. I'm hoping that the things that come out of my brain translate to other traders out there. <laughs> well said. That's our wish for everyone, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. Tony, thanks again. Always a pleasure to have you. It's great to be here, Slash. Let's keep the streak alive, all right? I love it. Streak alive. I love it. Thanks for watching, everybody. And thanks for the questions on Twitter and on YouTube. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.